I just tried to light these candles because the Methodist acolyte in me can't stand that there's candles here, then they're not lit. But they won't stay lit because of the fan. But the candles are a representation of the Holy Spirit, but so is rushing wind. So we, we got the rushing wind tonight instead of the flame. We're good. We're covered. All righty. Uh, go to Luke chapter 17. I think I will not be as long tonight. That doesn't mean much because I, th- I think. Uh, I'm not sure. Um, as I understand it, the... There's another meeting going on. It's uh, why it's a little thin in here. Uh, a lot of people who have been, I don't know, Billy called them the oldie goldies or something like that. The oldies, I don't know what they're called. Uh, people who have been around a long time uh, are having a meeting. And so uh, if you're not in that meeting, I guess you haven't been around long enough. So I don't know what they're talking about. They're probably talking about us. I don't know. All right, Uh, I got stuck in a traffic uh, accident over right in front of Billy's neighborhood. It was bad. Someone had gone off the road, down, through the fence, almost into that little pond in the front with the fountains. So it's like uh, both lanes were, it was crazy. Uh, But let's pray. Let Let me pray for us. Let me pray for me. I'm stuck in focus here. Father, thank you that you're here, that you do send your Holy Spirit when we call on your name, and uh, you fill this place, you fill our hearts. Lord, I pray that you would uh, open up your word to us tonight, Lord, that you would uh, speak to your church, that the Holy Spirit would be here in a a tangible way, Lord, that our hearts would be uh, gripped with the truth of your word. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for the gift of your word and uh, for the privilege of, of access to it but also thank you for illumination. Thank you for the ability to understand it. Uh, Lord, thank you for giving us ears to hear. And we do pray for that, Lord. We pray that we would have ears to hear tonight uh, what the Spirit would say. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, 18. Well, no, chapter 17. Verse 11. And that's where we'll start tonight. This is the conclusion to the journey of to Jerusalem. We've had three weeks so far, really, on the journey to Jerusalem. Last week, we talked about the middle section. Here in these last few chapters of the journey, uh, it runs from 1711 to 1928. That's, just, that's, where we'll, uh, that's where we'll end tonight. So not a long section, but, but quite dense. Uh, okay, and, and like any good conclusion, it's not uh, it's really drawing on a lot of material that has come before it. And so it's, it's smaller stories, more compressed section, but really resonates with a lot of meaning for us. Um, so Luke has been preparing his disciples for what's going to happen in Jerusalem. What's going to happen in Jerusalem? He's going to die, but in dying, he's going to establish the kingdom of God. He's going to cause the salvation that he has come to, to demonstrate by his power he, he's going to cause that to become, uh, he's going to give his, his people access to, to be able to be agents of that salvation, to bring that salvation to the ends of the earth. But first he has to go to Jerusalem and die. The, the disciples, back in chapter 9, they did not understand what he meant. He said, I, I need to go and I need to suffer. 
Well, here at the end of the journey, they still don't get it. Uh, verse, in chapter 18, verse 34, it says, um, but they understood none of these things. This is after he foretells his death again. The saying was hidden from them. They did not grasp what was said. So at the beginning of the journey, he says, I need to suffer. He goes through the whole journey, and by the end, they still don't get it. They still don't get it. Uh, we'll, we'll say a little bit more about that. So back, all the way back in chapter 9, they said the same thing. And we'll see even in this section, they, they, they are still rebuking people that Jesus comes to have compassion on. They're putting barriers in between Jesus and those that he came to reach. So they, they clearly don't, they don't get it. So for us, the disciples are not good examples here yet. They will be in the book of Acts, right? And, and thankfully, there's a part two to this story. That after the death of Jesus, the disciples were able to look back on this whole journey and go, Oh, yeah, he had to die. Okay, it all makes sense now. And they go about uh, establishing the kingdom in that truth. So the disciples are not good uh, examples for us here. So who do we look to? We've gone through this whole journey. Who do we look to? Well, Luke gives us a leper. Not only a leper, he's a Samaritan leper. Luke gives us a widow, a tax collector. He points us to children. He points us to a blind beggar. And then he points us to, worst of all, a small tax collector (laughs) at the end. A tiny tax collector. No, and he he was a tiny guy, but a chief tax collector. Can you imagine the ego of this guy? Right? He's already, he has the short man syndrome, but he's a chief tax collector. This has to be the world's most obnoxious guy, Zacchaeus. And I don't think that's, you know, I think that's, that's, those details are, are, are purposeful on Luke's part. He was small. He had a big head. And nobody liked him. And it's to this guy that Jesus comes and says, I'm going to come hang out with you. All right. Uh, also, through this conclusion of the journey, uh, Luke is repeating, well, Jesus is repeating some key mantras that we've, we've heard all through the book. In uh, chapter 17, verse 33, it says, whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Chapter 18, verse 14. Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. Whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Chapter 19, verse 26. To everyone who has, more will be given. To him who has not, even what he thinks he has will be taken away. Okay, We've, we've heard this before, and here it comes back around. In this conclusion and summary portion of the journey. Also, I want to point out that um, chapter, all of chapter 17, all the way from chapter 18, verse 14, is all material unique to Luke. Okay, so much of this conclusion to the journey is unique to Luke. It's not in any other other, other gospels. Um, so the ten lepers, that's only in Luke. The uh, persistent widow, that's only in in Luke. Um, the Pharisee and the tax collector in the temple, that's only in Luke. And then also uh, most of chapter 19, Zacchaeus, the parable of the ten minas, which is similar to the parable of the talents, but it's got some differences. Um, so a lot of this material 
is, is just in Luke. So there's some important stuff for us, for our study of Luke here in this, in this section. Uh, finally, I want to point out that there is a lot of Old Testament backdrop. And hopefully you ca- caught that. Not a lot of quotes from the Old Testament, but a lot of backdrop. A lot of you need to know what the Old Testament says about this in order to know what Jesus is saying. Okay, so let's dive in. Um, chapter 17, verse 11. On the way to Jerusalem. And in this section, you'll see a lot of references again to the journey itself. It begins to speed up. You know, they haven't made much progress. I don't know if you've noticed that. They haven't really made much progress. They're still on the way. Okay. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And he entered a village. He was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. So this should... You know, he didn't come and touch them. Earlier in the book, he has come and he has touched a leper and cleansed him. This is different. He comes and he says, go show yourself to the priest. Second Kings chapter 5, we have the story of Elisha, which was also mentioned earlier in the book of Luke. The story of Elisha, he comes to Naaman. Naaman says, hey, I need, I need you to heal me. And Elisha says, go. <laughs> he doesn't come and, and heal him. He, tells, he gives him something to do, Right? Uh, and Naaman doesn't like that. He gets angry. He says, ah, "I thought you were, you know, I thought you were had the power of God." But anyway, Naaman goes and he he cleanses in the river and he he gets cured. But these ten lepers, they are on. They go and realize on the way that they've been healed, which is interesting. It's kind of a, a different twist. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, oh, so they 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 turn from Jesus, go to the priest. And they're healed. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, he turned back. And this is beautiful. He praised God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. And and in my early days uh, leading worship, God really brought me to this section. I was asking God, what is worship? What what, What is true worship? And very clearly I heard, worship is being the leper who came back. True worship is being the leper who came back. Uh, and always we need to understand that anything that happens in our life, anything that, that, that looks like salvation in our life, we owe completely to God. And we cannot forget to constantly come back every day, every week together and give him thanks. Okay, Thanksgiving, uh, gratitude is one of the most powerful uh, things in our life it really it really changes us it keeps us uh, it keeps us in god's presence i will enter his gates with thanksgiving in my heart i'll enter his courts with praise if you want to get in the presence of jesus you need to learn how to give thanks like this leper amen so he saw that he was healed now we need to remember this this word saw or see, because this becomes the key to this section. This is, this is where Luke is really uh, bringing us. Um, we have this section here. It's, a, it's kind of about the end times here in, in verse 20. Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come. When's it going to come? 
You're, you're getting close to Jerusalem. And this is a little bit sarcastic on there. Whoa, when's it coming? Should we, should we go hide? What are we looking for? And Jesus says, the kingdom of God is not coming. And the ESV says signs to be observed, but it's really the more literal translation is it's not coming with observation. You're not going to, it's not going to be this big, at least yet. On this trip to Jerusalem, it's not going to look like much. It's not coming with signs to be observed, nor will they say, look, here it is, or there, for behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you, or is among you. Now, some translations say within you, and people interpret that to be like, oh yeah, it's like an inner spiritual reality. That's not what Jesus is saying. He's saying the kingdom of God is among you. (laughs) You're looking at him. You're looking at it, okay? And if you're unwilling to accept me as the expression of the kingdom of God on earth, then you're never going to see it. It's, you know, nothing's going to come. I'm it. And if you've missed me, you've missed the kingdom, okay? Now, he says to his disciples, listen, days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. Listen, it's going to get rough. Right? He has already told them that, listen, people, as, as opposition increases, you're going to need to hang in there. You're going to desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man. And they will say to you, look there, or look here. Do not go out or follow them. For as lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in his day. Listen, no one's going to have to prove to you that the Son of Man has come. You will know it. Just like you know when lightning has struck, you're going to know when the Son of Man comes. So don't, don't follow everyone who's trying to uh, get you off in every direction because, look, it's going to get hard. And here's, this, is, this is what he's saying. It's going to get hard. I'm going to die. You're also going to die. And you're going to long to see the Son of Man coming. And the temptation in those days is going to be to run after this exciting thing or run after this exciting thing. Stay on the road to the cross. And you'll know when the Son of Man comes. You keep going. You keep laying down your life. You stay faithful to me in my commands. And believe me, the whole world will know in an instant that the Son of Man has come. Right? So you don't worry about that. I will make it apparent. And don't, don't believe anyone else that says, oh, he's coming over here, he's coming over there. No one, will need any, no one will need to be alerted at all when the Son of Man comes. But first, and this is, this is where this whole thing, this is the whole point of this. But first, he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. This is the whole point. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And the flood came and destroyed them all. 
Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. Things necessary to human life, not evil things, right? But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven. Nobody had to tell them that judgment had come. (laughs) Just like in the days of Noah. No one had to tell them, hey, there's water everywhere. (laughs) They were under it, buried, drowned, dead. That's how you'll know. So will it be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. Remember Lot's wife, he says, verse 32. Remember Lot's wife. And there is such a, this is so poignant for us, the things that we've been talking about in the book of Luke. Remember Lot's wife. Don't look back at the stuff that you're leaving. Come, follow me. Deny yourself. Take up your cross. Don't look back at that stuff. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life will keep it. I tell you, in that night there will be two in one bed. One will be taken and the other left. There will be two women grinding together. One will be taken and the other left. They said to him, where, Lord? And he said, where the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. Who got confused by this? (laughs) So it's important to note that what he's talking about is first he has to suffer. Then there's a period of time where it looks like nothing's going on and human life goes on as it should. And then the Son of Man comes and everyone knows instantly. So what he's saying is human life, when I go in and suffer, human life will basically continue the way that it always has. The difference is there will be some people who have renounced their life and are following me and obeying me. And there will be some people whose lives look roughly similar who have not and who are caught up in the world. And when judgment comes, some will be left and some will be taken. You see that? Life is going to... So don't go around saying, oh, here it is, there it is. No, life is going to basically continue the way that it always has. And this is true to our experience, you know. We all have jobs, we need incomes, we need to provide for our family, we need to eat food. We have weddings around here and we're marrying and giving in marriage. But we are looking for the day when the Son of Man comes. And it will not surprise us. Okay, And so he's going to go on and fill out this theme of, I'm going to suffer, no, the kingdom of God is not going to come in the way that you think. But be careful that you don't get distracted and drawn off just into life as it always is. And you're not waiting and living unto the coming kingdom, the eternal kingdom. So he's needing to manage the expectations of those who are following him around. Hey, I don't know what you're expecting, but it's, it's not going to look like that. First things first, I have to go and suffer. There will be a day, and it will be totally unmistakable. When the kingdom of God comes and judgment comes... And here's what's going to happen. Human life is going to continue. But those who have renounced this life, who have left everything to follow me, to be obedient to me, to live as I live, I'm coming to take them to myself. And they will be in the kingdom. 
Those who have not, those who are just living life and absorbed in the mundane reality of human existence, judgment is coming to them. Does that make sense? So it sounds, you know, when you get to this point, and there's, there's a lot of bad theology that has gone on. Like, ooh, this is some sort of like end times cryptic message that he's giving. No, it's actually pretty practical advice, pastoral advice even. Listen, I'm going to suffer. Life's going to be, life for you is going to look a lot like life for me has been. And don't worry about it. Stay faithful. Stay obedient. Don't get sucked down into the just humdrum existence of of, uh, another day, another dollar. Live unto me. Obey me. And wait wait for my coming. And everyone's going to know it when I show up. All right. So readiness. He's talking about readiness. Be ready. Not for a political revolution. Be ready to... Look like every other human being, but be looking to the eternal kingdom. So readiness means not becoming absorbed in this routines of life. So remember the mustard seed. It's a little seed, right? It's a little bit of leaven. That's how the kingdom of God is. Totally unnoticeable. It's kind of insignificant. But if you just be faithful, it's going to grow and it's going to take over the whole the whole earth. Um, so it, on this place where it says that one will be taken, one will be left, a lot of times it's like people point to them, oh, the rapture. And then their, their whole set of clothing, just minus their bodies, just remains sitting there. Um, and there's a bit, kind of pop theology. That's, that's what, these are one of the verses that, that you know, people point to. Um, but the point here is not that. The point here is that Listen, two people will be doing the same thing, but their hearts are totally different. All these good things. We eat, yes. We drink, yes. But the people over there in the bar are eating and drinking in a totally different way than we eat and drink. We're going to have dinner downstairs. We're going to thank God for it. We're going to fellowship with each other around it. We're going to talk about the eternal purposes of the kingdom around food. That's a different kind of eating and drinking, right? Not on the surface, but at the, at the heart of it. So one taken, one left doing the same thing, but they have totally different hearts. And this is what Luke is, is building out, right? He's, he's drawing these opposites. Um, but he's saying, listen, it looks the same, but under the surface, it's totally different. The reality is different, okay? And he's going to keep, uh, keep building this out. A little side note here. I was in um, Steve Humble's worldview class in high school, and he brought us to this verse, and uh, he really he blew my mind, and he really changed the way that I approach Scripture. Because at that point, you know, the, uh, let's see, the Left Behind books were really big. I read them all. They were exciting to read, uh, kind of page turners, horrible theology. Um, but the, so all of that was just kind of in my mind, and just that was how I read Scripture. And he said, now listen, the Scripture tell us, Where the one that was taken, like, what, it, was the one that was taken bad and in judgment, or was the one that was left bad and in judgment? And I went, the text doesn't say. The, the, those books say, but the, the Bible does not say. 
And it was, he, was, he was trying to give us this whole idea of like, listen, we're not all being whisked off to heaven. God is bringing heaven to earth, right? And so maybe those who are being taken away are those who are being gathered up out of his kingdom to be burned in outer darkness. I I don't think I know how to read the Bible. Seriously. I mean, I had like a, I don't know what's true anymore. But you need to have those moments where something that you know about the Bible gets turned on its head. All right? That's just a side um, interpretation of Scripture. All right, chapter 18. Ignore this chapter break, okay? He told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. Now, why would they need that parable after what he's just said? Times are coming. Times of trouble are coming. Okay, so this is absolutely connected to what came before it. Listen, there's going to be suffering and hostility. It's part of the plan. So expect it and stay focused. And be tenacious in prayer and don't lose hope. Stay hopeful. And he gives us another secular uh, analogy, and Luke loves to do this. He does it with, hey, which of you who has a father and you ask him for bread is going to give him a stone? No, so even... Even sinful people know this. How much more God, right? It's kind of the lesser to the greater. And he's doing this again. Listen, there's this woman, and even an unrighteous judge is going to give her what she wants because she's just so persistent. Now, how much more God, who loves to answer the needs of his children, who loves to come. When you pray in these days of trouble, God is going to give you justice. He's going to reveal to you the meaning behind all this stuff. Hear what the unrighteous judge says. It's kind of interesting, an unrighteous judge. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Nevertheless, I tell you, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? So this is, this is, this is the summary of that, that section. When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? There's going to be two people. Eating, drinking, marrying, being given in marriage. When he comes, what is he going to find in those people's hearts? And those who have been crying out to him, who have been, who have been tenacious in prayer, persistent in prayer, and have not lose, lost hope, he's going to come and that's where he finds faith. You see that? This whole thing works together. It's just brilliant. It shows us how to live in this life where what we see doesn't match up with what we know about the kingdom of God. Don't lose heart. And be faithful to me in spite of that. All right. This next one, it's also connected. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. Oh, I'm good. I've got it down. Yeah, the one taken and one left, I'm going to be on the good side of that, whatever that is. Um, oh, I wanted to mention that the, where the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. Um, that's basically just, as far as I can tell, that basically just means you'll know it when you see it. Just like it's going to be like lightning. 
just like you know that there's a dead, when you see all the birds flying, everyone knows, oh, there's something dead down there. That's what you're going to know. You're not going to need anyone to explain it to you. You'll know. Does that make sense? I don't think it's as cryptic as, as sometimes it, people make it. Um, it's just, yeah, if you see the birds, there's something dead down there. You're going to see the Son of Man. It's, it's going to be obvious to everyone. All right. Okay, so the Pharisee and the tax collector. This parable, and I love these parables, both of these, because like, he gives the meaning right up front. Well, this parable is about praying and not losing heart. And this parable is about those who are <laughs> they, they're self-righteous. Thank you, Luke, for being your own commentator. Um, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. So this kind of same idea. There's two people. They're both going up to the temple. Both doing, both going to church. One of them, standing by himself, prayed thus. Now, Luke, remember he's a master craftsman of language. He's standing by himself. And it doesn't say, and he prayed to God. It just says he prayed thus. The words that came out of his mouth were this. But he's all by himself. He's not in the presence of God. He's just over by, he's praying to his own mind. (laughs) Standing by himself, he, he prays thus. God, now who's he talking to? Himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other men. Extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all I get. Um, he's praying to the God of himself, to the God of our age, right, of our generation. And there's some bad signs here. Okay, here are some bad signs. <laughs> Telling God the good things that you do. That's a bad sign. If that's a part of your prayer life, it's a bad sign. Um, relative righteousness. Well, over there, they're doing this. I'm not doing that. So I'm good. That's a bad sign. Comparing yourself. Justifying your own behavior. Giving yourself a seal of approval based on what you see in someone else's life is a bad sign. There's no, he has no reason, he, he, he thanks God in the most pitiful way. I thank, thank you God that I am not like them. What, is, what does God hear in it? Like, okay. There's no sense of, there's no sense of uh, a need for forgiveness. There's no sense of repentance in his prayer. And so if your prayer life does not contain, if you have difficulty finding a reason for repentance or need for forgiveness, if if it's hard for you to think those up, it's a bad sign. It's a bad sign. But the tax collector, and again, tax collectors, Samaritans, these are gross people. Samaritans, because they're like these half-breeds. Tax collectors, because they're just in bed with the government. They're, 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 they're traitors. 
They've sold us out. The tax collector is standing far off. So the Pharisee kind of charges right in. Hey, I'm here in the middle by myself. The tax collector, he doesn't even come, he, he doesn't even presume to enter. Okay? He would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. It's the obvious conclusion to that story. For everyone who, hum- who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Now, they were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. They still don't get it. But Jesus called them to him, saying, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. So the picture of those people becomes very, very clear. Where the Son of Man will find faith on the earth. It's those people that are totally dependent on the mercy of God. It's those people that have left everything behind. It's like it's people who are like a, a child. In their trust, but also just in their simple understanding of obedience. I'm, I'm, I'm just a child. Totally dependent on people stronger than me. That's how we enter the kingdom. That's how we live in the kingdom. And then we have the rich young ruler. Now this is in all, uh, it's in the three synoptic gospels. So this is an important story to the life of Jesus. I mean, each gospel writer said this was a very significant story. And it makes sense, right? I mean, there's a lot in here that, that speaks to us, um, especially in a wealthy uh, age, in a wealthy country. A ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Now, this is something I read differently in for a long time, too. What he's asking is, Jesus is wondering whether, whether the ruler really knows who he is. Why, why do you call me good? You're not supposed to call anyone but God good. So basically what he's asking is, are you, do you really believe that I'm God? You see that? He's not saying, no, I'm not good. He's saying, do you really mean that? Are you really calling me good? Because that's reserved for, for God alone. And if you're calling me good, you're calling me God. Are you saying that you're acknowledging me as the good one? And Jesus, you know, he said, well, this guy says, uh, you know, he, he, he obeys the rules. Right? And his problem is that he's a master of the law. It's another bad sign. If you have everything figured out, that's a bad sign. <laughs> and Jesus says, okay, you got that. Well, let's move on. What about all your wealth? Does that have a grip on you? And he says, why don't you leave all that? But he's not just going to abandon him. He says, leave all of it and come follow me. 
And the choice is there. Jesus, is he really good? Do I really believe he is good teacher? Or my stuff? And unfortunately, we don't know what happens long term, but unfortunately in this moment, he goes away sorrowful. Because in his eyes, his stuff is better than Jesus. In his reckoning, in his, in his vision. And Jesus, he loves this guy. In, the other one, in one of the other Gospels, I think it's Mark, it says, and Jesus looking at him loved him. He wants him to follow him. But he just sees him. He, he's entangled in the stuff. And Jesus sees that he had become sad, and he, he says, man, it's difficult. Man, when you have it good, it's so hard to see the kingdom. When you don't sense your need, when there's nothing in your life driving you in desperation to me, it's so hard to generate that. It's so hard to, 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 to gain that perspective. It says it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. And then those who are around him, they say, well, then who can be saved? Jesus, this just seems hard. Who can be saved? And he says, yeah, <laughs> it's impossible. But that's the whole key. When you leave everything and you, you abandon everything, then you gain everything you need to, to, to live this life. You can be saved if you abandon everything else. If you're still hanging on to what's possible, you're never going to be saved. This is what he's trying to say, to, to say the whole time. If you, if, if you think you can do it, you can't do it. And as soon as you think you can't do it, boom, there you go. You got it. <laughs> and Peter said, see, we have left our homes and followed you. I don't know what Peter, I don't know what is behind that. One of the things I think is that uh, he's seeing this rich guy and he's saying he, this rich guy fails because he didn't leave his wealth. And he's saying, you know, Peter was not wealthy. I don't think any of the disciples really that, that initially followed Jesus were wealthy. There was Matthew the tax collector and others, but Peter I don't think was, was very wealthy. Uh, but he says, see, we have left our homes. I'm like, is that good enough? Is it, is it enough that I've left home life behind? And uh, Jesus is a very, it's a very compassionate answer. He says, truly, yes, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. So Peter is anxiously suggesting that, hey, you know, we've left something. It might not be as much as you were calling him to leave, but we've left something. And Jesus graciously, graciously responds, and he understands the price they paid. Right? They still, don't, they still don't get it fully, but Jesus acknowledges the price that they paid. Um, and for these guys, it was their homes and their families. And he said, listen, even if you've left your home, your fa- yes. That is what I'm looking for. Um, everyone has their one thing. And Jesus is saying, yeah, you guys have, you're on to it. For the rich man, it was, he had his one thing and Jesus put his finger on it. Peter and all the disciples, they had their one thing and Jesus had put their, his finger on that. And they had responded. Now, again, they were still a little bit in the dark, but Jesus is saying, yeah, hang in there. You, you, you're on the right track, okay? 
and this can, this is encouraging. You know, everyone has their own uh, cross, and, and Luke seems to emphasize that your own cross. Everyone needs to bear their own cross to become my disciple. And I, I think it's encouraging sometimes to think that that God takes note of everything that you've laid down to follow Him. He sees it, right? And I, I'm looking, you know. Billy has said it, and I've said it. The people in this room, God sees what you've laid down. He sees what no one else has seen. He's the only one that needs to see it, <laughs> right? But he sees it, and he says, yes. Um, come follow me, and, and you're going to receive much, much more. Um, so maybe you need to hear that as an encouragement tonight, that, uh, yes, the things that you've surrendered, the things that you've given up, yes, you, you're there. And Jesus says, yes, that's what I'm talking about. Stay on the road, but that's what I'm talking about, right? And so he foretells his death um, again. This is the final time. uh, It kind of brackets the journey. See, we are going up to Jerusalem. Everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. In verse 34, they, they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them, and they did not grasp what was said. Now, what's the next story? A blind guy. They did not see it. As he drew near to Jericho, a blind man, and other than healing the guy's ear when he cuts it off, this is the last miracle in the book of Luke, the the healing of the blind man, and the resurrection, obviously. But it's the last miracle that Jesus performs. And this this is the summary miracle. This is it. This is, this is salvation. This is who Jesus is. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has, he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, recovery of sight to the blind. Right? This is Jesus fulfilling his mission in, in a literal way, but that literal way is, is, is the deepest and most figurative way that we can imagine. I was blind, but now I see. Right? That is salvation for us. It is one of the primary metaphors. So the disciples didn't understand it. Guess what? Jesus heals the blind. Even if you can't see it, he can cause you to see it. Hearing that a crowd was going by, he inquired what this meant. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Those who were in front rebuked him. No, don't. Stop rebuking Stop rebuking people. Just let Jesus save them, right? Maybe, maybe we need to hear that. Stop rebuking people. And let Jesus come into their life and save them. Be an agent of salvation, not a gatekeeper of the kingdom. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. What do you want me to do for you? Lord, Let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, recover your sight. Recovery of sight to the blind. This is it. And immediately he recovered his sight. Do you think that he recovered his sight? (laughs) Says it so many times. Glorifying God and, and followed him. Glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. He entered Jericho and was passing through, and there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. 
Uh-oh. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. And he couldn't see because he was too short. So you have a blind guy, and you have a guy, bless his heart. He's just too short. And so Jesus just goes, he goes and finds him. This guy, he's got, you know, he's got it figured out, but he, he just, he's just too short. I, I love this. I mean, to me, this is, uh, I'm, I'm so glad I follow Jesus, right? I mean, he, 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 he finds these people. No one else was going to find this guy. So he ran on ahead and climbed up in a tree to see him. He wants to see Jesus. And if you want to see Jesus, he wants to see you. Period. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried down and came and received him joyfully. Amen. So these two, this blind man and the guy who was too short to see, this is what Jesus is coming. He's, the people that want to see him, that are desperate to see him, that will do anything to see him, Jesus is coming for them. And Zacchaeus, this is a guy who, you know, if the blind man is, is a picture of, of depending on mercy, Zacchaeus is a picture of true repentance. Okay? True repentance. Lord, half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone or anything, I restore it fourfold. 180 degrees. Where he was a miser, where he was wealthy, where he was exploiting people, he is now overdoing his repayment. Right? He is plundering himself for the good of others. He has, he has changed he has turned 180 degrees in a different direction. That's repentance. You turn away from the direction you were going and you follow in the opposite direction with Jesus. And Jesus said, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. If you're looking for me, I am looking for you. I have come to seek you who are lost and who are looking for me to seek and to save. I will find you and I will save you. I will bring salvation to your house. Amen. This is just so good. This, this part is like, yeah. After, after, we've, after everything we've come through, this section is so, everything just hits so much harder. After you've been soaking in the book of Luke for a while, and it's like, Yes. Yes, you know, after he's, he's wrapping things up and everything is just really uh, at a high level. Um, last thing here, last, last parable, the, the ten minus, and then we, we enter into Jerusalem. Uh, and this is, this is a sobering concluding parable. But this, the themes are similar to uh, the, the theme of readiness, right, and vigilance. Will the Son of Man find faith on the earth? When he comes. As they heard these things, he proceeded to tell a parable because he was near to Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. He's almost to Jerusalem. What, what's going to happen when he gets there? Some explosion? Some revolution? And he says, well, all right, I've got to tell you this story. 
a noble man went into a far country to receive a kingdom for himself and then return, which should, again, contra rapture theology, far country to receive a kingdom and then return. Okay. Um, calling ten of his servants, he gave them ten minas and said to them, engage in business until I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him. We do not want this man to reign over us. So this, this parable is, it works on two levels. First is Jesus is coming to Jerusalem and is coming to pronounce judgment on the people who don't receive, his own people who don't receive him, his own citizens. Okay? So that's, that's happening now. Because I'm coming to establish myself as the way to God. And there is judgment for you if you do not come to the Father through me. Okay? You're the stewards of the way to the Father, but now that's changing. I'm coming to change the way we operate here. But it also works on the level of he's going to Jerusalem, then he's going to ascend to the Father, and he's coming again in his second coming. And while in the time between now and then, here's how we are to conduct ourselves. So it's not either or. You know, some people get locked into interpreting, well, this is about the first coming. No, this is about the second coming. Well, it's both, because he's saying, here's how the kingdom of God works. So it's a corrective to a misunderstanding of the kingdom. And it it refers to both the, the first and the second coming. So the citizens are those who have access, who, who know the truth. The Jews, before Jesus is coming, but now everyone who has seen Jesus and heard his teachings. Those are his citizens. And if you don't want Jesus to reign over you, there's nothing but judgment and slaughter awaiting you. right? But he has these servants. Okay? And these servants are those who have chosen to follow him, who to be his servants. And he gives them a stewardship. And based on their performance in that stewardship, it's going to determine their long-term role or status in the the kingdom of God. So we have our life as a testing ground. He's going to return and going to say, what did you do with all of those sermons that you heard? What are you going to do with all of your good friends and all the good counsel they gave you? What are you going to do with the fact that you had nonstop access to the word of God without threat of persecution? (laughs) What did you do with all that? Well, I I struggled with fear my whole life, and I hid it in a napkin. A napkin? A handkerchief? That's not even a safe place. Why would you put it in a handkerchief? (laughs) At least in the parable of the talents, talents, I think the guy buries it. It's a little more secure. A handkerchief? What do you like? Wrap it in a napkin and put it in your pocket? This crusty old thing. But the point is, the people that took what God gave them and poured it out, replicated it, are deemed faithful. You take all that stuff, you don't consume it. But you use it, you leverage it. At least put it in a bank so that it gains interest. Don't just let it sit there. But this is what I'm looking for when I come back. This is what the Jewish people, the unfaithful Jewish people, failed in. 
right? They had all the promises of God. They had all the sacrifice, all the temple system, all of the, the Torah and everything. They failed. The judgment remains on them. But it also remains on everyone else. And in Romans it says, listen, God's grafting the Gentiles in, but if you're unfaithful too, he's going to get you out of here, just like the unfaithful Jews. You know better off. <laughs> okay? So that's what this is talking about. And I think it works on both levels, both what he's coming to say to the, the unfaithful Jews in the present, but also uh, at the end of the age. Um, he's going to Jerusalem. They don't understand what's going to happen when he gets there. What's going to happen is he's going to die, and, and that's it. And he's gonna, his followers are going to go, uh, what now? And hopefully they pick up all the clues that he's been leaving along the way. Well, listen, remember all those stories? It's not going to look like much. There's going to be this time where people are going to say, look here, and no, you just need to stay faithful. You need to pray. You need to stay hopeful. Keep denying yourself. Take up your cross. Don't get drawn away into riches. Okay, so he is preparing his disciples for his departure. All right, and then that brings us up to, to verse uh, 28. So when he had said these things, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem, and there's uh, up to chapter 20, it's transition. It's where he, he enters in, he goes and cleanses the temple, and we will uh, we'll pick up there next week. We'll finish the story on uh, on Palm, well, it's not Palm Sunday, it'll be Palm Sunday Eve next next Saturday night. Um, but but here, just let's let me underscore these things. Uh, as as I was, you know, what I think is is here for us now. Uh, to glean from this part. You know, we should never relate to God from a place of self-justification. And think of those bad signs. Let God examine you. Or examine yourself. Do you list good things? Do you keep a, a, a record of everything you've done for God? Don't be your own bookkeeper in that, Okay. Uh, don't compare yourself to other people to make yourself feel better about your standing before God. Now, these are these are things that that are really uh, subtle and can creep in. Listen, no one can save you, or nothing can save you but God. So, if that makes you fearful, good. Go beat your breast before God and say, "Be merciful to me," and He will be. <laughs> Just don't self-justify. Don't get wrapped up in that game. At the same time, you need to know, all of you need to know that anything that, that you have truly surrendered to God, he sees it. And he knows it. And it, it brings him joy and pleasure. Whether you feel that or not. Okay? So, in other words... Don't try and prove to God all the good stuff you've done. He already knows and he, and he, and, and he loves you. <laughs> he already knows and he's saying, yes, keep going, keep doing it, keep being faithful. Um, so yeah, those, those two things. You know, Examine yourself for self-justification, but also know that you don't need to justify yourself. God sees it. You don't have to tell him what you've done. He sees it, and he knows it, and it brings him joy. 
Uh, and anything that you've given up, anything that you've truly surrendered, any, any way that you've truly taken up your cross to follow him, he, his, his eye is there and he knows it. Okay? And just like, um, just like you know, we're going to have to give an account for everything we've done to him, well, he's going to also say, yeah, you forgot that you did that one thing, but this was awesome. And you forgot that you did that, but that was great too. So there's going to be both. <laughs> Uh, when he comes back but the key is to remain faithful and and to not get sucked off into uh, just the the routines of life Uh, but to stay surrendered stay stay on your face before God stay thankful uh, for his salvation and that's what he's looking for when he comes back he comes to seek and to save the lost we were all lost and we all owe Jesus our gratitude that he sought us and he saved us. Amen? All right, let's uh, spend a little time in prayer. And hopefully it's not, uh, hopefully it's the right kind of prayer. Prayer of, of humility. Um, and I'll lead us in we're going to have dinner downstairs and uh, I want to call us to keep having church, right? I don't want to sing a song and then have a big amen and then the dismissal. Um, let's just close in some prayer. I'll pray for the food and let's go downstairs and let's continue in the presence of God. Um, talking about the word of God, sharing our lives with each other, encouraging one another. Um, and I, I think it'll be a good, good evening. Chewing on, uh, chewing on the word and chewing on whatever good food is, is waiting down there for us. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we love you. Uh, we thank you that you've been merciful to us. Uh, Lord, we thank you that you have been patient with us. That you came to seek and save us, Lord. It's not because of who we were. It's not because of our potential. It's not because you saw some sort of promise in us, particularly. uh, But it's because you are a good and loving God. And you desire all men to be saved. And the mercy that you've extended to us has nothing to do with us, Lord. And has everything to do with you. The success that we've had in our walk with you, Lord, has nothing to do with us, and it has everything to do with you. And Lord, I pray that you would convince our hearts of that. Uh, Lord, if we, need to, if we need to learn how to humble ourselves in deeper ways, Lord, I pray that you would take us there, that you would show us where we uh, are comparatively righteous, And not truly righteous before you. But God, I also pray that you would um, bring a deep sense of encouragement to those who have um, left their old lives. Lord, that you would um, draw them close to yourself. That you would um, give them deep assurance that you do see uh, their faithfulness. 
and that it brings you joy. And God, I pray that you would increase our ability to bring you joy. We want to please you, Lord. We want to please you. We want to live in a way that will bring you joy. And I pray, Lord, that as you search us and search our hearts and search our church, Lord, that you would find faith. That you would find a faithful people who are denying themselves and taking up their cross daily and following you. And God, I thank you that you are able to heal, that you are able to uh, do the impossible. Lord, where we look at the life that you've called us to live and we go, how in the world? Lord, you can bring us through that, that you can show us the way of the cross. And Lord, we trust you in that. We want to follow you regardless of what what it looks like to us, regardless of our perception of the... uh, our assessment of the situation, Lord, we want to follow you because you are you and you are good and you are the way, the truth, and the life. And so, Lord, I pray that these basics, um, it seems belittling to call them basics, uh, but these foundational truths of your kingdom, uh, that we would never depart from them, but they would be, that they would infiltrate everything that we do, that everything would be out of a sense of humility that there would be no exaltation of self among us, Lord, Uh, only bold and passionate following of you and imitation of you, Jesus. I pray for this evening. I pray that you'd be in our fellowship, Lord, that you would um, bless our time around this meal. Thank you for everyone that worked on uh, food today. I pray that you bless them for their sacrifice. And, Lord, uh, we thank you that we have food to eat. And God, tonight especially, I pray that you would um, teach us a deeper sense of of eating and drinking in anticipation of your coming, with an eye toward your uh, coming, uh, with a sense of readiness and expectancy and hope and fervent prayer. Uh, Thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.